Section 13 of the Letters of Madame de Sévigné to her daughter and friends. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Letter 39. Paris, Wednesday, June the 5th, 1675. I have not received any of your letters since that from Sens, and you will therefore easily conceive how anxious I am to be informed of your health and safety. I am fully persuaded you have written to me and complained of nothing but the management, or rather mismanagement, of the post. According to the calculations of your friends here, you should be by this time at Grignon, unless you were detained at Lyon during the holidays. In short, my dear child, I have accompanied you step by step all the way, and am in hopes the Rhone behaved with proper respect to you. I have been at Livry with Corbinelli, but returned here with all the haste I could, that I might not lose a moment in seeing our dear Cardinal. The great affection he has for you, and the long friendship which has subsisted between him and me, have attached me to him very sincerely. I see him every evening from eight till ten, and I think he is very glad to have me with him till his bedtime. Our conversation is constantly about you. This is a subject we are fond of expatiating upon, and indeed it seems the master sentiment of both hearts. He is for coming hither, but I cannot bear this house when you are not in it. The nuncio informed him yesterday that he had just learned by a courier from Rome that he was appointed to a cardinalship. The Pope, footnote, Clement X, back to main text, has lately made a promotion of his creatures, as it is called. The crowns are put off for the five or six years, and consequently, Monsieur de Marseille, Toussaint de Fromain-Janson, Bishop of Marseille, and afterward Bishop of Beauvoir, was not made cardinal till 1690, at the promotion of Alexander VIII, back to main text. The nuncio told Bonvouloir, who went to congratulate him on his promotion, that he hoped His Holiness would not now accept Cardinal de Retz's resignation of his hat and that he should use all his endeavours to dissuade his holiness from doing so, as he had the honour of being his colleague. So now we have another cardinal, Cardinal de Spada. Cardinal de Retz sets out on Tuesday. I dread the day, for I shall suffer extremely in losing so valuable a friend. His courage seems to increase in proportion as that of his friends diminishes. The Duchess de la Valliere pronounced her vows yesterday. Footnote, for more than three years, she had only received at court insults from her rival and unkindness from the king. She remained there, she said, merely from a spirit of penitence and added, when the life of a Carmelite appears to me too severe, I have only to call to mind what those persons made me suffer. Pointing to the King and to Madame de Montespan, back to main text. 
Madame de Villa promised to take me to see it, but by some misunderstanding we thought we should not get places. Nothing more, however, was necessary than to present ourselves at the door. Though the Queen had given out that the admission should not be general, and after all we did not go. Madame de Villars was very much vexed at it. The beautiful Duchess performed this action like every other of her life, and in the most charming manner possible. She is surprisingly handsome. But you will be astonished to hear that Monsieur de Condom's Bossuet's sermon was not so good as was expected. The coadjutor was there. He will tell you how well the affair goes on with respect to Monsieur de Paris and Monsieur de Saint-Paul. But he finds the shade of Monsieur de Toulon and the spirit of Monsieur de Marseille everywhere. Madame de Coulange goes from hence on Monday with Corbinelli. This deprives me of my companions. You know how good Corbinelli is to me, and how kindly he enters into all my sentiments. I am convinced of his friendship and feel his absence. But my child, after having lost you, of what else can I complain? It is true that you are interested in my complaints because he is one of those with whom I most enjoyed the consolation of speaking of you. For you must not imagine that those to whom I cannot speak freely are as agreeable to me as those who enter into my feelings. You seem to me to be apprehensive that I make myself ridiculous and that I'm too apt to divulge my sentiments on this pleasing subject. No, no, my dear, fear nothing. I am able to govern the torrent. Trust to me, and let me love you, till it shall please God to take you out of my heart in order to place himself there. For you can yield to none but him. In short, my heart is so entirely occupied with and so full of you, and that finding myself incapable of any other thought, I have been restrained from performing the devotions of the season. Adieu, my dear child, for the present. I shall finish my letter this evening. I have just received a letter from Macon, and cannot yet read it without the fountain playing its old tricks. My heart is so extremely sensible that the least thing that affects it quite overcomes me. You may imagine that with this fine disposition I frequently meet with opportunities to try it, but pray have no fears for my health. I can never forget the philosophy you inspired me with the evening before we parted. I improve by it as much as I can, but I have such an habitual weakness that in spite of your good lessons I often yield to my emotion. Our cardinal will have left me before you receive this. It will be a melancholy day to me, for I am extremely attached to his person, his merit, his conversation, which I enjoy as much as I can, and the friendship he expresses for me. 
his soul is of so superior an order that it is not to be expected that his life should be attended with only common events. He that makes it a law to himself to do always what is most great and heroic must place his retreat in some proper part of his life, like a shade beautifully disposed in a piece of painting, and leave his friends to lament it. How facetious you are, my child, with a newspaper in your hand. What, can you derive amusement from it already? I did expect that you would at least have waited till you had crossed the vile Durance. The conversation between the king and the prince appears to me very humorous. I think you would have been entertained with it even here. I have just received a letter from the Chevalier, who is well. He is with the army, and has only had five attacks of the ague. This is one subject of uneasiness less, but his letter, which is full of friendship, is in the true German style, for he will not believe a syllable of the retreat of Cardinal de Retz. He desires me to tell him the truth, which I shall not fail to do. I shall distribute all your compliments, and I'm sure they will be well received. Everybody thinks it an honour to be remembered by you. Monsieur de Coulange is quite proud of it. The coadjutor will relate to you the success of his journey, but he will not boast that he was on the point of being stifled at Madame de Louvois by twenty women, who each supposed they had a right to embrace him. This occasioned a confusion, an oppression, a suffocation, of which the bare idea almost suffocates me, accompanied by the most high-flown, reiterated and affected compliments that it is possible to conceive. Madame de Coulange describes the scene very drolly. I wish you may have the company at Grignon you mention. My son is well. He sends you a thousand remembrances. Monsieur de Grignon will be very willing for me to embrace him now that he is no longer occupied with the bustle of the boat. Letter 40 Paris, Friday, June the 14th, 1675. Instead of visiting you in your apartment, my dear child, I sit down to converse with you by letter. When I am so unfortunate as not to have you with me, the most natural consolation I can find is to write to you, to receive your letters, to speak of you, or to take some step in your affairs. I passed the afternoon yesterday with Cardinal de Retz. You cannot possibly guess what we talk of when we are together. I always begin by telling you that you cannot love him too well and that I think you happy in having so firmly fixed the kindness and affection he before felt for you. Let me know how you bear the air at Grignon, and whether it has already begun to prey upon you. How you enjoy your health, and how you look. Your picture 
is very pleasing, but far less so than your person, without reckoning that it wants the power of speech. Be not uneasy about my health. The rule I observe at present is to be irregular. I am not sensible of any indisposition. I dine alone, stay at home till five or six o'clock, and go in the evening, when I have no business of importance to keep me within, to the house of one of my friends. I walk or ride according to the distance, but I make everything yield to the pleasure of being with our cardinal. I lose not a moment he can spare me, and he is very obliging in this respect. I shall feel more sensibly his departure and his absence, but this doesn't prevent my indulging myself in the pleasure of his conversation. I never think of sparing myself. After having endured the pangs of parting with you, I have nothing to fear from any less tender attachment. Were it not for him, and for your affairs, I should go a little to Livry, but I make every consideration yield to these, which are above all my little pleasures. The Queen went to see Madame de Montespan at Clagny on the day I told you she took her up in her carriage as she passed. She went into her room, where she stayed half an hour. She then went into Monsieur de Vexin's, who was a little indisposed, and afterward took Madame de Montespan de Trianon as I informed you. Some ladies had been at Clagny. They found the fair lady so occupied with the building and enchantments that are preparing for her that I fancy her like Dido building Carthage. But the resemblance will not hold good in any other respect. Monsieur de la Rochefoucauld and Madame de Lafayette have entreated me to present their compliments to you. We fear you will have too much of the Grand Duchess, footnote Marguerite Louise d'Orléans, daughter of Gaston de France, Duke of Orléans, and of Marguerite de Lorraine, his second wife, back to main text. A prison is preparing for her at Montmartre, with which she would be frightened if she did not hope to change it, but she will be caught. They are delighted in Tuscany to have got rid of her. Madame de Sully is gone. Paris has become a desert. I already wish myself out of it. I dined yesterday with the coadjutor at the Cardinal's. I have left him in charge to inform you of that part of ecclesiastical history. Monsieur Jolie. Footnote Claude Jolie, Bishop of Argent, back to main text, preached at the opening of the assembly of the clergy, but as he took an ancient text and preached only ancient doctrine, his sermon seemed a piece of antiquity altogether. It was a fine subject, too, for reflection. The Queen dined today at the Carmelites de Boulois with Madame de Montespan, Madame de Fontrevaux. You will see how this friendship will end. They say that Monsieur de Turenne, as it were, 
conducts the enemy's troops to their quarters. My heart is much oppressed with the thoughts of losing the cardinal. The repeated intercourse of friendship and conversation, which has so lately passed between us, redoubles my grief. He goes tomorrow. I have not yet received your letters. Believe me, my dear, that it is not possible to love you more than I love you. Nothing animates me but what is some relation to you. Madame de Rochebonne has written to me very affectionately. She told me with what feelings you received and read my letters at Lyon. I see, my dear, you are grown weak as well as I. D'Arqueville has sent you such a large packet that it would be ridiculous to pretend to tell you any news now. Letter 41, Paris, Friday, June the 28th, 1675. Madame de Vin expressed herself very affectionately about you yesterday, my dear. That is, in her way, but it is not a bad one. There seemed no interlineations in what she said. We have no news. The king's good star has brought the Duke of Lorraine and the Prince of Orange across the Meuse again. Monsieur de Turenne has now elbow room, so that we are no longer confined in any part. I am rejoiced that my letters are so pleasing to you. I can hardly think they are so agreeable as you say they are. I know they have no stiffness in them. Our good cardinal is gone to solitude. His departure gave me sorrow and reminded me of yours. I have long remarked our cruel separations to the four corners of the world. It is very cold. We are obliged to have a fire, and so are you, which is more astonishing still. You judge well respecting Quantova. Footnote. Quantova is Madame de Montespan, back to main text. If she cannot return to her old ways, she will push her authority and grandeur beyond the clouds. But she must prepare to be loved the whole year without scruple. In the meantime, her house is crowded by the whole court. Visits are paid alternately, and her consequence is unbounded. Be not uneasy respecting my journey to Brittany. You are too good and too attentive to my health. I will have nothing to do with La Mousse, the dullness of others weighs me down more than my own. I have no time to go to Livre. I have made a vow to expedite your affairs. I shall give your compliments to Madame de Villa and Madame de Lafayette. The latter has still a little fever upon her. Adieu, my dearest child. Believe me to be most sincerely yours. End of section 13